Begin this morning by asking your question. Have you ever missed something really important? Have you missed a plane ride, a train, a business opportunity? I wonder how you felt. You look back, maybe with some regret. Begin this day with two stories, one from my own life, and a secondly from a Russian guard's life in the 1960s. In my life, it concerns not missing out on an opportunity. And secondly, of the Russian guard who missed what he was looking for, even though it was right under his nose. Recently, I came to the decision to no longer go back to teaching. And I was thinking about this as I was traveling down the highway to my parents' place. I would think about what happened to those teachers who would retire. There'd be a morning tea amongst the staff, maybe a small presentation. There would be speeches made, how all you've been appreciated. And then probably the next day you'd be forgotten. I have seen some and I have pondered. I decided that morning as I was traveling down the highway, well, I wasn't really missing out on anything at all. Well, I arrived at a lifeline shop at Kunda Park and I walked in and I picked up a small tackle box and others were all around it, all marked five dollars. They're all very good condition, but they're all empty. One I looked at was tacky and worn, but it was very heavy. It weighed a ton. And I opened it and it was like jewels of a king's treasure box. Silver, gold, coloured lures, hooks, sinkers, gold swivels, silver swivels still in their packets. Fishing flies. I was totally stunned. A lifetime of fishing gear, probably from some poor soul departed whose wife or family had passed it on. I took this treasure chest up to the counter, showed it to the lady and how asked her how much because there wasn't any price marked on it. And I opened it on the box so that she could see hooks and sinkers and so on. And she said, ah, oh, would five bucks be five dollars be too much? And I said, oh, I think that's okay. But she could not see the value in it, what I could see. There was immense value in this box, especially for me as a fisherman. She did not comprehend what I comprehended, for she could not see its value. A bit like Phil's desk last week that he sold off for, or gave away for zero. It was worth $5,000. And on that day that I settled that I was going to retire from teaching, a retirement package came my way. The good Lord gave me something that no one else would have given me who knows me so personally. I was dreaming of an education setting, of an education package, and I went to Lifeline. I had this wonderful treasure given to me. I was overwhelmed in joy of God's goodness. Another story, this one of the former Soviet guard and prisoner. Uh, back in the 1960s, former Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev used to tell of a time where there was a wave of petty theft in the Soviet Union. In the 1960s or thereabouts, the authorities sought to curtail uh, small petty crimes around the factories. One timber works in Leningrad, the guard knew the workers in the factory very well. And the first evening, out came Piotr uh, Petrovich with a wheelbarrow. And on the wheelbarrow, a great bulky sack with suspicious looking object inside. All right, Petrovich, the guard said, what have you got there? Ah, oh, sawdust and shavings. Petrovich replied, come on, the guard said, I wasn't born yesterday, tip it out. And he poured it out, and all that came out was sawdust and shavings. 
so he's allowed to put it all back in and go home again. When the same thing happened every night of the week, the guard became frustrated. Finally, his curiosity overcame his frustration. Petrovich, he said, I know you. Tell me what you're smuggling out of here and I'll let you go. Friend looked him in the eye. He paused and he said, Will Burroughs, he said, Will Burroughs. Well, that guard missed the obvious, didn't it? And we might miss the obvious. It might be right in front of us. One of you have ever heard the expression, let me have a girl look. I hear that because I've got three girls and uh, they look better than I do if I've lost something. And I've often heard men reply uh, to their wives, replying to the men, have a girl look. To look for something, to find something they cannot find. Today is Palm Sunday and it's the story of Jesus coming to Jerusalem to suffer and to die, to give himself away to all who would receive him. The most wonderful gift to all who would receive it, he gives the right to come, the children of God, as the Apostle John says, but only those who can see their need and see Jesus as a solution to that need will they receive it. Recently lost my reading glasses and having great difficulty at the moment reading or seeing. I see in part, but not clearly, the words on the page. I have myopia, short-sightedness. Thankfully, I have those uh, glasses that can see long distance. But without my reading glasses, I can only see in part, and much is blurred. I've got my old uh, glasses on today, by the way. The story of Palm Sunday is one is to help us to have clarity of mind and overcome myopia, or short-sightedness, of the heart and soul. The story of the Palm Sunday is all of the Gospel accounts. Every Gospel looks at it. It's a very important event, and the writers want people to have clarity about what Palm Sunday means. We know from the Gospels that Jesus knew what that was about to happen when he got to Jerusalem. Jesus knows he's about to be executed. We're told that he goes there not turning his head to the right or to the left. Remember his words to Peter when Peter tried desperately to dissuade Jesus from going there. Get behind me, Satan. You have not got the things of God in mind. Jesus on Palm Sunday comes to fulfill the prophet's words and demonstrate the reliability of God's word. Jesus comes to please the Father in saving all who would turn to him. In the recent Nismore floods, locals sought out all those in need. Do you need help? Were the cries from the small boats that uh, came alongside the houses and the rooftops. Hop in, hang in. That's what Jesus is about to rescue the perishing. Hop in, he says. Always consider the promised entry of the Old Testament. In Psalm 24, we read David's words of a coming king going through the city gates. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, and the king of glory might come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. And that's before you on that sheet. That's written something like 1,000 years before Palm Sunday. And in Zechariah chapter 9, 9 to 11, there's a second reference to the King of Glory. And we read these words. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. 
Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As to you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Two pictures before us from the Old Testament, one by King David and one by the prophet Zechariah, both wonderful pictures of the coming king. In David's, David's vision, uh, uh, Jerusalem, Zion, is seen to welcome its true and everlasting king. David the right is an earthly king. He knows his weakness and fragility, but he sees one coming of everlasting significance, much greater than he. He sees a king who is eternal in stature. He is mighty, and he's being greeted by open gates of the city. They open widely to allow this mighty one in. And the second picture, which I just read from the prophet Zechariah, is of a righteous and victorious king, where his rule will extend to the ends of the earth. His rule is comprehensive, where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Now, if we just go back to Psalm 24 at the beginning there, there is a reference to the earth and everything in it. It is the Lord's and those who dwell within, says David. And that includes believers, non-believers, saints, sinners, kings, school kids, all and sundry. And in Zechariah, this king who comes is righteous and every knee will bow and every tongue confess him. Even if one does not believe him, one day they will. See the parallels of Psalm 24 and Zechariah. They both point to Jesus coming to uh, uh, reign as king on the whole earth. Now, we are yet to see this fully, of course. It'll only be finished in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as the work of the good news is completed of salvation goes out to the whole earth. Note Zechariah's passage points towards Jesus' humility. His righteousness and his victory are certain, but they don't appear as strength or brute power. Many in Jesus' day wanted to think of Jesus in that way. He's going to come and help to overthrow the Romans and set up his rule with the Jews. Many don't, no doubt in the Palm Sunday crowds, believe this. They wanted Jesus to be the king and overthrow the tyranny of the Romans to set up the kingdom of God on earth with them. But as we see the Messiah, the chosen one, the prophesied one, he comes lowly and riding on a donkey. These people must have been disappointed to see Jesus riding on a donkey. One commentator says, you can't go to battle on a donkey. You can't destroy the Roman Empire on a donkey. You can't fight your way to the, fight your way to the throne, destroying all your enemies on your way, and claim your rightful role as a king of Jerusalem if your war whore is the donkey. I agree with that writer. In this sense, Palm Sunday is a picture of, is only a picture of humility. And there's a sense that one would wonder, how can he who comes in this form be victorious in sending God's kingdom? The prophet also sees his rule extend from sea to sea, as peace is brought to the world and prisoners are set free from the water's pit. You rightly might say, hey Martin, I don't see this very well at the moment. Russia and Ukraine, the Taliban in Afghanistan, not much peace there. We're not at the point that Zechariah sees when all the earth will know about the Lord. And we do well, my friends, 
to understand there will be no total peace in the world until the Lord Jesus returns the second time. But we work towards peace, of course, by all means, because we're people of peace. We're a kingdom of peace. But underline the fact Christ's kingdom is foremost a spiritual kingdom, not of might and force. This is what Palm Sunday is all about. Celebration the inauguration of the King of Righteousness and Peace. Many saw Jesus and in flesh, but had myopia over the heart in not seeing his true role. And so what did happen on the entry? Let's have a look at the fulfilled entry. In Luke's uh, Gospel we read this. In Jerusalem the people began rejoicing and praising God, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the first time the Lord Jesus is lauded as King. It is the first time Christ allows himself to be named as such. He knows as much. Some of the King know this. And others, I believe, are joining in because of the crowd effect. They're persuaded by the crowd, the noise, the excitement, not necessarily their own conviction. I tell my children to be very careful if you get involved in a crowd. They don't have any sort of moral sense of compass. They see Jesus, but they do not recognise him, this crowd. Myopia of the heart is still present in many today, in many crowds today. Crowds are nature by fickle and unintelligent. It's easy to go along with the throng. Leading up to our Lord's Annunciation, there's a great disquiet and uncertainty in Jerusalem about who Jesus was. Matthew 21.10, it says, The whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? You can imagine the gossip. Nothing since the Roman Empire has been as big as this. This man from Galilee, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He's coming into the city. He's coming to do something, but what? Who is he? Have you heard him speak? He puts those teachers of the law in their place. What's he going to do? That's the context of the crowd and their discussion, their thoughts. The Palm Day Sunday story probably happened on a, actually on a Monday. What we know as Jesus comes in on that donkey into the city, uh, the crowd had started with him outside the city, and many... Uh, join him along the way. They're going to the Passover. And as they come in, we see the whole crowd's response. As he went through the city gates, people lined the streets and yelled, Hosanna, mean, pray, save us. They also cried out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Israel's Saviour, who is being lifted up by the crowd. Psalm 118, we read, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, a reference to the Messiah. The crowd are declaring Christ as the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. As the one, uh, as, as, uh, Psalm, as the one Psalm 24 and Zechariah referred to. The Pharisees were not happy and they tell Jesus to stop it. That reference is found in John's Gospel. Jesus' response to them, the religious rulers, as he did so often, he put them in their place. And he's saying, if the people aren't going to say that, then there stone rocks themselves or it would cry out. They would welcome him if the people did not. I think these stones that Jesus is referring to were probably the pillars that held the gates up. It wasn't the little pebbles on the road. It was the gates that, that were held up by the big stones. But it did not matter what protests that the Pharisees are made. They are out of order. Jesus is Israel's king, whom he had come to... who. He had come in to, uh, to save his people. 
and at that point the crowd were welcoming the king. In our world, Australian sportsmen at the top of their game are called kings. Wally Lewis in the NRL and Shane Warne in cricket have been called kings as they're at the very top of their field. They rule over everyone else in their kingdoms, and crowds bow down to them, lifting up their hands up and down, subject to their kingdom, you pay homage. Appropriate response to the day the Lord Jesus entered Jerusalem was to cry, Hosanna the highest, to worship the bow down to the king, to welcome him to town. But it did not take long for many in that same crowd to turn on Jesus, because we know only a few days later it was, crucify him, crucify him, yelled the crowd as Jesus went to the cross, as we know on Good Friday. Such a cry demonstrates unbelief in Jesus, unbelief in his kingship and the fickleness of the heart of man, where one moment there was great praise, then condemnation. Those people who switch allegiances so quickly have heart myopia, blindness of spirit. They see Jesus in the flesh but miss him in the spirit, who he really is. You can see him but miss him. For you and me, application to us this day. The question arises, am I for him or am I against him? Do I submit to his rule or do I rebel against his rule? Do I welcome him into my life or do I say go away? King David many years ago declared, who is this king of glory? And his answer, it is the Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. New Testament gospels are emphatic. Let King Jesus in. He's a rightful king. He's a rightful Lord of all. Don't shut him out. Rome, the Pharisees tried to shut him out, but he came in anyway and as king. Today's world, he will overthrow all who oppose him. Every knee will bow. We see that Jesus on that great white horse in Revelation coming and every knee bending so today, open the gate of your hearts and let him in, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of glory. He is King.